It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hey guys, if you haven't checked out our Passive Investors Handbook, I would definitely suggest that you start there. This is a great primer for those looking to jump into passive real estate investing. I know you're going to get a lot out of it. It's 15 pages and takes about 20 minutes to get through, and you can find it on our website or just go to upstreaminvestor.com forward slash handbook. So go check that out and enjoy. All right, let's get into the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Darren Huang. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not yet familiar with Darren, he built his portfolio to 100 residential units in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I'm very familiar with. Uh, but he became tired of the midnight calls, especially from the police, and has now shifted his focus into commercial real estate, specifically the industrial sector, which we have a lot of interest in. And I'm super pumped to dive into that today. Darren, my man, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, pumped to talk about uh, industrial today. But uh, first, we're going to dive into your background. Um, just hear more about you. So tell us more about your story uh, and then how you got to where you are today and your real estate investing career. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. In 2016, I actually got licensed as a real estate professional, but I was thinking that I would just help people like retail find houses, buy, buy and sell. Sure. Um, and it wasn't until 2017 I picked up my first investor client. And by then I'd kind of known and that whole entire uh, trajectory of my career, whether it be building out a team and owning a brokerage, that wasn't really something that I wanted to do. I was just tired of, you know, the clients being like, oh, this wall color is not the the right <laughs> color, or you know, the granite is is a little bit different or chipped or something like that. And so in 2017, I picked up my first investor client and it changed my whole entire life. Wow, that's that's pretty crazy. So let's talk about that. So you picked up this investor client, right? And then what were the next steps? You helped him buy a property or it was like, hey, no, you were going to buy a property at this point. Or what, what did that look like? Yeah. So in 2017, like I said, um, I helped him and I didn't know that there were people that always wanted to buy houses. I was just chasing my tail, trying to find the next lead. And here a guy was in front of me and they said, hey, if I present to you 10 deals that fit your criteria, you'll buy all 10 of them. He goes, yeah, of course. Um, and so, uh, that changed my life. And then once again, um, just knowing the number side of things, and it was like kind of an eye-opening experience, just kind of like finding industrial, which we'll get into. Um, I was much more suited towards the numbers, investors, different things like that, instead of just the retail clients. Um, yeah, absolutely. but yeah, Ab go ahead. But yeah, um, you know, basically he kind of sideways mentored me for that time period. Uh, we bought a house, $75,000. He put in 25 and he showed me all the paperwork, showed all the renovations. And uh, then he said, hey, listen, the bank appraised this for $140,000. And I was able to pull out all my capital and even then some. And we have a cash flowing rental in a really great area. So that was just the the most amazing experience that anyone could have ever had. Um, so he kind of, like I said, sideways mentored me for that, uh, for a couple, for about a year. Really? Wow. So in that, in that, in that year, was it just that one property or were you guys picking up multiple properties going forward? Yeah, we're picking up multiple properties and, you know, we're writing offers and when we're walking it, I just asked him, Hey, could you just, 
you know, talk aloud, think, you know, cast a vision of what this would cost and, you know, what you would actually do to the property and what you think it would appraise for so that, um, you know, that full cycle burr by renovate, rent, repeat, or refinance, and then repeat, um, I was able to just have a front row seat, uh, obviously adding value to him by being able to find the deals and, um, you know, open up the the door if they were on the MLS. Um, but yeah, that was just full cycle. And we were able to pick up a couple, couple of single family homes. That's awesome, man. And it sounds like a great partnership, right? You're you're out there sourcing the deals. You're helping an investor take them down. You guys are partnered together. I think it's a great partnership. So fill in the gaps for us a little bit. You're talking about there, you know, you're being mentored. You got mentored for about a year. And then eventually you got to 100 plus units in your portfolio just there in Tulsa. Uh, fill in the gaps there, man. How did you get there? Yeah, that's it's a pretty uh, dramatic increase, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, as I saw this full cycle, it gave me the courage and gave me, um, you know, the understanding to actually do this myself. And once again, he was able to help me too, just maybe double check my numbers, even source a couple subcontractors. And so um, end of 2017, I picked up my first house, single family, and I didn't have the capital. So I used a little bit of creative financing. I actually did a sale with an option to purchase. Um, and so I basically rented, or sorry, a lease with an option to purchase. So I rented that house, got control of it, fixed it up, put in a different renter besides me, um, made the cash flow in between. And then finally, when I was able to build up some of that capital, I, uh, I purchased it. That's awesome, man. So, so is that kind of the strategy you use going forward to build up the rest of that portfolio or what are some of the other techniques that you use to, to get to that hundred unit number? Yeah. So a lot of hard money, a lot of creative financing, and one of my favorite, which is seller financing and or seller carrybacks. Um, I used a whole arsenal of tools just to be able to build up the, the small multi single family portfolio. But I would say the majority I was able to use either construction loans or hard money financing. Okay, cool. So do you still hold that portfolio today there in Tulsa? Yes, we have over 100 units and I have a small team, a property manager, leasing agent, project manager, um, and we still hold that right now. That's awesome, man. Sounds like some great cash flow. So, you know, we mentioned in your in the intro there that you're getting tired of the headaches dealing with this, right? Uh, now you've built out this team or whatever, so it kind of probably takes care of itself. But then you decided to pivot into industrial. And I know for for many people who started in the the single family space, right, you typically hear them kind of moving into multifamily, right? They just want to scale, they go into multifamily, maybe larger multifamily apartments, whatever. Uh, but you decided to transition into industrial. We don't hear that a lot. So talk to us about talk to us about that, why you chose industrial and why you chose industrial to uh, be your next move. Yeah, exactly. It's so interesting how influenced we are by either bigger pockets or HGTV. You know, my trajectory, I was thinking, hey, I was just going to do single families, then maybe dabble into multifamilies, uh, maybe even mobile home parks because of uh, Brandon Turner out there. Um, <laughs> but I quickly found out that the team that you need, the type of personality that you need to have is is really, you guys are rock stars. You know, you guys are superstars. And so there are a couple of things that really drew me to the industrial space, especially on the local level. Um, but the main one I would say is triple net leases. Mm, okay. Yeah. And I know we're going to dive into that a little bit later, but uh, before we jump into that, man, we want to make sure that everybody's on the same page here. You know, industri industrial real estate, just the term itself is kind of a, a catch-all, right? There's a few different type, types of property there that could be uh, basically umbrellaed under uh, the industrial real estate terminology, right? So for, for those that may not be familiar with um, industrial real estate in general, can you describe, you know, what it is, the different types of properties and examples of uh, who some tenants might be in those properties? 
Yeah, I'd love to do that. It's actually really interesting. One of the reasons why I really do like industrial real estate is that per square foot, it is the largest asset class. But then again, there's not that much information and it's not as straightforward, just kind of like what you mentioned. And so there's three main categories of industrial real estate. First one is warehouse and distribution. The second is manufacturing. And the third one is kind of that catch-all, it's flex space. So for warehouse and distribution, that has been a really hot asset class in the past couple of years because of the rise of e-commerce. But if you can imagine some of the really well-known brands like Amazon, FedEx, USPS, um, you know, those are the guys uh, building million uh, square feet warehouses uh, to, to connect their supply chain so that they can ship straight to your door. So that's an example of warehouse and distribution. For the second one, manufacturing, you know, I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, so there's a lot of oil and gas. So anything to do with manufacturing a part um, and on the you know national level, uh, some of these Fortune 500 companies you've never heard of, but uh, think of you know Reynolds Wrap, someone that does aluminum, makes the aluminum foil, um, that's manufacturing. Um, same thing, there's a company in uh, Tulsa actually, um, Kimberly Clark, they do all paper sure. products. So, you know, they do paper towels, diapers, um, toilet paper, different things like that. So that's a really big manufacturer. Okay, cool. And then that last piece, I think we said it was flex space, right? Can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah. Flex space is really interesting because it's just a catch-all. Some people say, you know, that, that it can include, um, you know, uh, environmental things like chemical plants and stuff like that. Um, for me on the local scale, I kind of take a look at anything that can be part showroom, part retail in the front with maybe a warehouse in the back, or maybe it's positioned as office in the front and then warehouse in the back. But, um, that's just kind of the catch-all that's uh, very interesting. But once again, it's a pretty broad term flexible. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you going to that level of detail about the three categories there, because that really helps clarify it, right? So I'm curious, you know, you move it into industrial real estate. Um, are you are you targeting one of those categories? Or you're just like, hey, I'm just going to go after all of these doesn't matter. I'm just looking for some industrial real estate in general. Yeah, at the moment, right now, my niche is probably something that's local to me. So within Tulsa or within about an hour driving. So um, I have some light manufacturers. Um, I do have some um, warehousing um, and distribution. Um, and, you know, the flexible space when it comes to the local level, you can make a storefront or a showroom or something in the front. So that's just kind of the build out properties. So um, I would say I have all three. Um, yeah, kind of focusing on local tenants and uh, you know being in Tulsa. Okay, cool. So, what about the lo having a local tenant is so attractive to you, right? Obviously, I'm familiar with Tulsa. Um, I know some of the companies that you're bringing up. What about having this local component is so attractive to you? Why you're pursuing those type of tenants? Yeah, and so this kind of goes into triple net leases. Um, when I was just doing research, you know, the only triple net leases that I could think of were like Walgreens or CVS mm. where the cap rates like two or three, sometimes four. Um, I didn't really believe that triple net leases, uh, could be, you know, high yielding. And so one of the strategies that I have is being able to use some of the competitive edges that I have, including being local, being able to shake their hand, being able to see, you know, how their businesses run, um, to, to make sure that they will be a good tenant. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I like to stay local and um, and different things like that. 
Yeah, that's a great reason, man. And so, you know, you brought up triple net lease. So we're here now. Let's just dive into it. Uh, tell us what a triple net lease is and what that what that all means. Yeah, triple net leases, you know, once again, the only exposure that I had was really small yield. But basically, the definition is that each net that the investor or the property owner nets everything. So and the triple nets uh, uh, correspond to three different things. First is the property taxes. So that's the first net. Second net is the property insurance, and then common area maintenance. So on a triple net deal, I as a landlord actually bill the tenant for the things that I'm paying for that I usually would be paying for, especially in a residential deal. So I, I didn't really believe that they were true. And I once again, I thought they were low yielding instead of cash flowing. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like, uh, you know, being an owner of an industrial property and holding a triple net lease on, with that tenant is very advantageous to you as the owner, right? That sounds, that actually sounds amazing, right? Cause you're basically <laughs> deferring everything to the tenant. So my question is, what's in it for the, what's in it for the tenant? Why would they be okay with uh, using that type of strategy that, that triple net lease? Yeah. So usually the base rent is usually very, very low. And then also mm. being able to negotiate, um, you know, either longer or shorter periods with smaller increases. For example, in Tulsa, we uh, on the residential side, rents increased 11, 13% year on year. Whereas for most leases, especially mine, I only have a 3% increase, maybe sometimes 2%. So they're able to fix their costs down, get actually a lower dollar per square foot to be able to kind of pass forward uh, for us to be able to, as the landlord, to be able to pass through a lot of those expenses. Okay, cool. Yeah. And you know, you brought up Tulsa there and you mentioned, you know, the 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 rent increases. What else is it about Tulsa that makes this industrial piece that you're going after uh so attractive, right? What is it about Tulsa that's really helping you drive this industrial demand? Yeah, I think that um as things progressed within the whole entire nation, I'll I'll, I'll speak about the Midwest. Um, you know, the the onshoring and the distribution uh, for some of the larger cities are going to be really, really key. And so Tulsa is not necessarily the largest uh, place, kind of like if you were to compare it to Dallas or even like the Inland Empire, um, where vacancies are less than 1%. We still have a very healthy market, but in my opinion, it's still unhealthy compared to those. We have about 3.5% vacancy, which is pretty crazy uh, here in Tulsa, but we are still you know, a secondary uh, city. So we don't have, um, you know, five Amazon distribution centers. You know, we don't have a huge amount of infill uh, just because we have a lot of space. So I think that the mom and pop play is still very, very attractive. Um, and you can still get some really great yields, eight to 10 caps. My past deal was almost 11 cap. That's that's massive, dude. I love to hear that. And you know, the thing about secondary markets that's so great is just the reasons you said, right? You can find these mom and pop owners, whether it's industrial, could be mobile home parks, could be self-storage, those secondary and tertiary markets, there you can really find some great deals in there if you dig deep enough, right? So uh I love to hear that. And you know, obviously I'm a big fan of Tulsa. But uh so let's dive into something real quick. You know, you mentioned earlier one of the key drivers of industrial is e-commerce, right? And I know that during, you know, when COVID was at its height. Uh, all I could really hear about was how industrial was on fire. It was just basically like blowing out of the water, right? It was just a huge topic in real estate circles. Um, can you talk about any other key demand drivers that's really pushing uh, this this industrial real estate space and making it so hot? Yeah, I think there's two kind of keys. E-commerce is definitely the largest one. 
Um, but another kind of key factor is onshoring. Um, as tensions get tight in China and environmental things kind of happen, um, we see a lot of companies actually coming back to the United States to do their manufacturing, which is one of the key drivers. Um, but I would say, you know, once again, that e-commerce is probably the biggest driver. Supply chain is the biggest driver and the distribution from there. In the past yeah. 20 years, a company didn't need to deliver uh, something to your doorstep in two days, but now that is the normal and is probably going to be shortened. Um, right now, for all of transactions, only 17% of them are e-commerce and people trend, uh, people say that that's going to grow to 25%, 30% in the next you know decade or, or even sh shorter than that in some cases. So even though we see, you know, with the rising of interest rates, you know, consumer spending going down, um, you know, with the growth of what this uh, class is and what the infrastructure needs to be, um, we see it really, really driving upwards. Um, and once again, I'm not in that space. I'm still local, but, you know, hopefully I'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you brought up something very interesting is the interest rates, right? Obviously, this is impacting a lot of real estate uh, investors, people who are just holding real estate. And so on the show, we're very familiar with multifamily, especially, but we get into some self-storage as well. So I'm kind of curious, mm -hmm. man, you know, with that in mind, rising interest rates, inflation concerns, fears of recession, uh, how has that impacted the industrial real estate space, if it has at all? Yeah, I think that it's really tied to consumer spending and it depends, I would say, because sometimes these leases, especially on the credit level, are like 10, 15, 20 years. So with the uh the the trajectory of their rent and the uh you know the the increases are very easily calculated. Um the factor of the rising interest rates though uh really do kind of you know uh mess that yield up sure. um, if they have a rate cap or if they don't. Um, but I would say that it's been interesting because the consumer side has been very, uh, it, I, I've been, this is my first cycle through this. So the consumer side has been pretty interesting to see too. I've seen articles where they actually state that, you know, since people aren't buying things, they still need the space to store the things that they aren't buying. So it's kind of a catch 22 when people are buying, they need even more uh, distribution and space so they can order more stuff. But then when people aren't buying things, you know, it's the opposite things that happen. They still need to store their their items and goods. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great explanation, man. I appreciate you going through that. So, you know, I kind of want to dive into it a little bit, man, shift a little bit and then go into um, just kind of paint a picture for myself, for the listeners, all that stuff. Walk us through... Um, a deal kind of, you know, an industrial deal from, from sourcing the deal to acquiring the deal and then ended up managing it. And then, you know, obviously um, what the strategy is for either a long-term hold or an exit. What does that look like, man? Can you walk us through that so we can get a better idea? Yeah. So I'll just show the example of my recent purchase, which was a sale leaseback. This one's okay. going to be very easy because the math is all right there. Um, so in this case, I found this one through a broker. Broker brought it to me. Um, and he said that, hey, you know, this local tenant, a lot of these hedge funds or, you know, even bigger capital groups, they don't want to touch a local tenant because they don't know this person. Um, I knew that they had uh, two retail storefronts that they were in the used appliance and mechanical repair, um, you know, space. So a little bit dirtier potentially, and then they needed space because refrigerators, water heaters, mm. washer and dryers, they take up a lot of space. Sure. So I was able to meet with the actual owner face-to-face. -face, and what we did was we uh, tried to find out what his pain points were and why he was actually wanting to sell. 
was his company in trouble? Did he need a cash infusion? Different things like that. And then also I was able to arbitrage, and this is kind of interesting, um, the replacement cost versus the cap rate cost. And so I kind of found that one of the things that he wanted was a lower rental rate. Um, mm -hmm. So below market rental rate, but that's all based on the capitalization rate. Um, so for this example, like I said, it was a 10 cap. He wanted below market rate, which was about $4 a square foot, where market rate's like 550, but it was okay. still capitalized the same way. So I actually picked up this deal for $39 per square foot. <laughs> you can't build anything for that little, you know? Uh, and so I was able to get really great replacement cost value. And then also, you know, based on the uh, credit worthiness of the tenant, um, you know, that was right in line where the cap rate was. Yeah. Um, so we were negotiating two things. One was the lease rate, but then the lease rate would then, um, you know, uh, later influence the purchase rate too. Um, but once again, very relational in the way that I, I did business and, and I'm still doing business with him since he's still a tenant. Um, but in that case, we did use a local tenant or excuse me, a local credit union, um, you know, it was uh, $850,000. So it wasn't quite yet to the life groups or, you know, CMBS. Sure. So we used a local, uh, local um, credit union that was, I had relationship with, they had known of J and J appliances, who was the local, um, you know, uh, business too. So that just made a very, very easy transaction because they were, we were all known within that community. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, and I appreciate you going to that level of detail because it kind of helps paint the picture of how this process is actually done. So, so let's let's take the next step from there. So you got you got this property under contract. What's next? You kind of just let it do its thing, or you know, you're just coll collecting cash flow. What does that look like on your end? Yep, it's exactly that. Um, this one is just complete, uh, completely hands off. They take care of all the toilets, of all the termites, different things along those lines. Um, and they just write me a check at every single month. So the lease was already there since it is a triple net one. I am responsible for the roof and for the exterior, um, but they take care of everything else that is common area maintenance. So I collect a check and I you know, buy appliances from him when I need to, and I do business with him and I stay in front of him. So once again, the leasing aspect of it was very, very simple since it was signed at closing. The property management style is very, very easy because he has to take care of everything besides the roof and the exterior. So um, I sleep soundly at night, not getting called from the police and not getting called from tenants. It's a win-win, man. I love to hear that. That's a that's a that's a home run right there. So I love to hear it. You know, I'm I'm super interested. You know, as a passive investor, I'm actually super interested in dipping my toe into the the industrial space. So uh, you and I are going to stay connected for sure because I think there's there's a lot of opportunity there. And uh, even in the Tulsa market, you know, I'm very familiar with that. But um, Darren, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to kind of explain the industrial space, what you're up to. So with that in mind, what's next for you, man? What's what's on your agenda for the rest of the year, and then back and then into 2023. Yeah. So uh, right now I am still local to Tulsa and looking at industrial assets in here. Um, right now I'm trying to just build that track record. Uh, we do have a multi-tenant industrial park that kind of operates more like a an apartment complex or self-storage complex with moving parts and moving tenants and different things like that. So there's a lease up. Some of them are on modified gross. Some of them are on triple net, but we need to bump them up and then also fill the vacancies. So I'm just building the track record to hopefully then be able to syndicate some of these deals. I think some of these deals will be very interesting to diversify, whether you're in multifamily or you know retail and different things like that. I think there's not a lot of uh, knowledge about it. And so that's the next step for me. Hopefully I'll be able to raise capital and then also get into some credit tenants.
That's awesome, man. That's actually the news that I wanted to hear, man. So I appreciate you, appreciate you saying that. We're going to be following you for sure. Um, dude, this has been a great conversation. Before we get out of here, though, tell the listeners how they can find out more about you and where they can connect. Yeah. So my website is the best way to connect with me. That's darrenhuang.com, D-E-R-E-N-H-U-A-N-G.com. You can do two things there. You can book immediately book a call with me. So you'll just be on my calendar. Or the second thing is you can sign up for my newsletter. You'll get a little free, uh, free download and you'll get access to those exclusive deals. And so I would say that I am looking for JVs right now to build that track record before, you know, we go into the syndication route. So if you want to connect with me, I would love for you to, to be able to do that. Awesome, man. Love to hear that. We're going to make sure to put that stuff in the show notes so everybody can reach out to you. Darren, again, this has been a great conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, as you guys know, I'm a huge fan of passive real estate investing. And as a busy W-2 professional working in the oil and gas industry, this type of investing has been a complete game changer for me. It's allowed me to build income streams faster, access private off-market opportunities, and bring stability to my portfolio by investing in hard assets like apartments and self-storage facilities. So if you're looking to learn more about these types of opportunities, I highly suggest you check out Upstream Equity. Whether you work in the oil and gas industry like me, or you're a busy professional looking to grow your investment portfolio, Upstream Equity is your go-to source for passive real estate investing. They do all the heavy lifting for you, from building strategic relationships with best-in-class operators to finding quality passive income opportunities. Upstream Equity truly makes this a hands-off experience. To find out more, go to upstreaminvestor.com. Once again, that's upstreaminvestor.com.